When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels is set up on our special line to make Nebraska seem like you are in Minneapolis. Sage, what is going on, my friend? I am there. You don't realize it. People just don't tell you when I come into the office. Sage, um, we've got a lot going on with the Minnesota Vikings here. We are working our way toward the third preseason game, and that's where I want to start with you is we joke around as reporters, Sage, and we call it the all-important third preseason game. We kind of make fun of the football men for this um, because they usually play their starters quite a bit, and they seem to take it seriously. So can you explain to me why the Vikings and Arizona Cardinals matchup in the third preseason game is important from a NFL perspective? Well, uh, I can't necessarily. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, one, the you know, everyone knows the Cardinals, and you know, the NFL put out their power rankings yesterday. And I'm not a big power rankings person. I'm one of those like, let's just see what happens as the season goes on. But it's a nice way to start the year to just sort of see where everyone. Is, is sort of uh, what everyone thinks everyone's going to be. And the Arizona Cardinals are the second-worst team in the NFL, according mm. to these uh, preseason power rankings, to only the Miami Dolphins. And uh, so, you know, they've got a first-year head coach who's been a college coach his whole career, uh, had a short stint in the NFL with the Patriots as a quarterback and, and Cliff Kingsbury. And obviously they've got a, a first-overall pick, Kyler Murray, who's sort of the, you know, maybe a future Doug Flutie type of quarterback, a smaller guy with a ton of talent and put up crazy stats at at Oklahoma. So, uh but you know, their offensive line is terrible. Uh their 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 team is sort of decimated uh, as far as talent is concerned. They have not done a very good job uh, with draft picks over the years. Uh, in particular, you know, last year Josh Rosen, they had to trade away to the Dolphins uh because they went after Kyler Murray. So, you know, if if a preseason game you want to look good, Man, they should look good uh, in this preseason game if the starters play a half, which usually that seems to be the case. Not for everybody, and everyone sort of has their own, you know, way they do it. But you know, a lot of times starters play a quarter and a half to two quarters, and sometimes even into the third quarter if they really play poorly. So uh, it's one of those situations for me where the Vikings could really only fail right on on uh, uh you know this weekend they you know if they do well and the offense scores two touchdowns and they're up 14 nothing at halftime that's the way it should be but if it's not that's not the case and they're down 10 to 3 now we feel like we have some concerns 
though at the end of the day it is still the preseason and you know Kevin Stefanski and and George Edwards they're not going to call you know all of their their best blitzes and their best plays and their best shots and all these things they're going to they're going to game plan a little bit uh, but not so much where they're going to give stuff up that they really want to run during the regular season. Well, so that's what I was wondering about, is when you play the starters for the first half of this third preseason game, which uh, I'm just always going to say that I disagree with putting starters out there for any length of time in the preseason. If you lose someone, it's the worst thing ever, can ruin your whole season, and why would you want to do that for a game that doesn't mean anything? And I agree with the way that the Vikings have handled Delvin Cook by not putting him out there. I just think that that's the smartest way to go about it. But we know that the football people are going to do this. They're going to play the starters for the first half. So, Do, what, do, you, what, do you think like in, like in 20 years we'll look back and we'll be like, man, that was so stupid that we had the starters out there yes, for these preseason totally. games. Like there was this era of football, which I mean, which has <laughs> been forever basically. But like why would we put our starters out there who could possibly get hurt? Like why would you have a boxer go out like the week before a huge boxing match and possibly get cut? And like get hit in the face or something like that. You'd probably like, you know, protect the guy a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what's always interesting to me is like, I'm getting more and more of to, I think, I think the, when Favre kept showing up like mid preseason, you know, and, and of course he had, you know, 17 years of experience under his belt, but, but when he showed up and he played so well during the season and like just showed up to the team, didn't even know like the offense or the other players or anything. Uh, to me, that sort of goes. You know, the preseason's not as important for these veteran guys. These guys that are, you know, near the age of thirty years old, they've got uh, six, seven, eight, nine years in the league. They know what the regular season's all about. They can, you know, take that step from you know practicing during training camp to game speed. They, you know, they've been there, they've done it uh, with all that experience. And so, yeah, I look at these like, man, I just don't want anybody to get hurt. You know, that that's probably number one of all the things. Nobody get hurt. And then hopefully, you know, the team plays pretty well when they're out there. See, I wasn't sure if you and I were going to be on the same page with this. You being the NFL guy who played preseason games, I thought you were going to tell me, oh, no, those starters got to be out there. But when Sam Bradford got traded here... How, how, how do you think I put up all those great stats in the preseason? <laughs> right, when the starters <laughs> were playing. The, exactly. Yeah, that's right. No starters, everyone. No starters. Okay, I didn't realize your bias no, no, the opposite way. No, no, leaving the starting offensive line for the number 2 quarterback. That's what you should do. <laughs> that's right. And may, uh, maybe... Maybe give me uh, Andre Johnson out there uh, just for a few possessions. Uh, but, but uh, you know, when Sam Bradford got traded here 10 days before the season and then he comes out in his first game in week two and is throwing bombs to Stephon Diggs and beats Aaron Rodgers at U.S. Bank Stadium, that was where it really hit me, Sage. Kirk Cousins does not need to be out there. I'm sure that there are things that he wants to sharpen. I'm sure that he felt great about hitting a bomb to Adam Thielen. But these guys have been practicing for weeks. They've been going over this offense since OTAs. I see very little reason for it. And I just wonder what the coaches think that they can accomplish from running the first team for an entire half. I'm sure that... Um, they have lots that they can learn from the backup players, and Mike Zimmer said they're still trying to figure out who their receivers are, so them and the rest of the world don't know yet who the rest of the receivers are. But to put Cousins out there, if it's Delvin Cook out there, the starting offensive line, I mean, I look at this situation, especially here, Sage, as being on very rocky ground with everything behind the starters. This team, fully healthy, can be in the NFC Championship or Super Bowl, but if you lose a couple of guys at key spots, and we know with quarterback, but even a wide receiver, even a running back, even a tight end, 
then all of a sudden it is much more difficult. So I would I would just not be playing them very much. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, last week we had Adam Thielen making a great catch down the right sideline on that first possession and on, on that go ball. And, you know, he also had that post route. I think it was the next play or a couple plays later. Uh, you know, what happens if he comes down on his shoulder wrong and dislocates his shoulder or his elbow or, or breaks something and he's out for the year or for half the year? We're like, man, why are we even playing these guys in this stupid second preseason game, but it's the way it's always sort of been. They're sort of that, you know, as they always say, knock the rust off, you know, type of mentality. Now, I will say this. The Vikings do have a, you know, rookie center, right? So for yeah. him, and now, would, would it be bad if he got hurt? Yeah, it'd be terrible. Like, it's already positioned that they don't have tons of depth and experience uh, is this offensive line that is, you know, going to be this work in progress. So if he got hurt, it would be bad. But, you know, he does need that experience because games are different in practice. And, you know, just the speed and the intensity and you know, the, the ability to cut and all those things are, are important. He does need to get out there. And some of these young guys do need to get out there and have some of that sort of live fire, you know, type of experience. But um, I, I would be very, very weary about putting my veteran guys out there. Now, interesting enough, Bill Belichick, who – most everybody thinks is the best coach in the NFL, probably mm-hmm. the NFL history. He'll play Tom Brady like in a Week 17 game where they already have the first, you know, uh, the bye wrapped up. They've got the first seed. There's no reason to play him, and he'll play him a half. I mean, talk about a game that absolutely means nothing to anybody, and uh, and Belichick will still play Tom Brady, and and uh, you could possibly get hurt right before the playoffs. I mean, talk about crazy, but that's what Belichick does, and so. Uh, if he's going to do that, you got to think, you know, almost all the other teams in the NFL will play their guys during the preseason. Now, it looks like the Packers are not playing Aaron Rodgers. Is that correct? Like almost at all during the preseason? Uh, that might be the case. I think he's supposed to get in a little bit in their third preseason game. Yeah. So, it. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Vikings do. We'll see how much they all play. You know, usually the starters all play together. You don't just like take out Kirk Cousins and, and Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, and, and then, you know, leave all the starting offensive line in. Uh, and you know, and some other players, and so you know, I guess we'll just sort of see how it goes. Either way, it's what's going to happen. They're going to play. They're going to play more than a quarter, I would think, probably half. It's usually the case. And uh, you hope they play efficient football that nobody gets hurt. That's all I'm really hoping for uh, for the game on Saturday. Yeah, I know. With the first team offense, I think we've seen enough to get a really good sense of where everything stands. And um, with the first-team offense, we've seen a lot of good things in training camp and in these first couple preseason games. And so I'm not sure what else they really need to see other than maybe just to get a few things down. I mean, last week we kind of broke down the miscommunication between BB and Mannion. We broke down the screen pass where um, Kirk Cousins thought the running back was going to do one thing and he did the other. So I guess maybe there might be a few of those things. They're still trying to work out the kinks. but There, There is always those situations just like that that are great uh, sort of learning tools that you know they just don't sort of they don't hit home as much when you throw that same interception in like a you know a practice in the OTAs yeah but when it happens in a preseason game uh, and you see that mistake or on that screenplay it really does hit home as a great learning experience uh, which is really what the preseason is it's it's a learning experience for for all the players and so you know those little things that happen You hope that when they say we're going to clean it up, you hope that, okay, we learned from that mistake. Now we've cleaned it up. We're on the same page. So when it happens again, uh, the wide receiver, Chad Beebe, stays on the move and we hit him. 
and, and the quarterback you know is reading his receiver the right way, and the running back stays in the move as well when it's a screen versus a Sam uh, or a Mike linebacker blitz, uh, and then we're sort of on the same page going forward. So the learn experience part is, uh, is 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 an important aspect of these preseason games. So from a little bit of googling here, I have discovered that some teams are not viewing this as the quote dress rehearsal anymore, and some teams are going away from playing their starters a lot in the third game. So I, I think what you said is right, that maybe 20 years from now we'll say, I just like we say now, I can't believe you guys did two-a-days in pads. That's crazy. At, at practice, we'll be saying the same thing here. And when guys are preparing for this all year round, 365 days a year, they probably don't need it. Um, well, there's that. Like, let, Let's just imagine we go into you know week one this year and, and uh, the, the Packers play the Bears, I think, in like one of the first games of the season. And let's just say Aaron Rodgers doesn't play at all in the preseason, and, and he comes out there and plays great, and, and people want to remember that he didn't play in the preseason. If he plays poorly, they're not going to blame the preseason either, right? right. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers, right? So guys like the, these veterans, you know, they, they, they practice all year long. They've been through the live fire so much. I don't think uh, – I wouldn't want to put my, you know, my key, key players, in particular like a running back who's injury-prone – uh, out there in the preseason. I think that's a smart move they're doing with Dalvin Cook. Right, and uh, Frank Reich, it looks like, is doing this in Indianapolis. So, anyway, I a question for you, though, as the Vikings get ready to play the Arizona Cardinals. You started out by talking about how interesting of a situation it is in Arizona, and this is one that I kind of am excited to go cover. And, and trust me, Sage, the number of preseason games in my life that I have been excited to go cover might be at about one ever right i mean and there there have been some like quarterback Wait, is, this, is this game you know? I, is this game in arizona by the way uh, or no is this... that will be at our grand it's, u.s it's a... bank stadium yeah gotcha i was so. thinking man for a preseason game this is a long flight for somebody i mean this is about a what, three and a half four hour yeah, flight yeah whether arizona come up or us going usually teams are looking for a, a shorter flight but i guess you know with the vikings being in the midwest they got the nfc north they obviously can't play them they play the they play the AFC West this year, correct? I know they play the Chiefs and stuff. Yep. So yep. Uh, there's not a lot. To, that's why they always have to play Seattle, which isn't a short place to get to either from from Minneapolis. And so this is a fairly long flight for a pre a preseason game for the Arizona Cardinals. But I am really actually excited to see maybe a full first half of Kyler Murray playing NFL football in some capacity. And considering that Mike Zimmer didn't seem super thrilled with the way his first team defense played, I think that they will not only be playing a lot against Kyler Murray, but trying kind of a lot after the performance against Seattle. So uh, what do we think of, of Kyler Murray, Sage? Have you seen any of his previous uh, preseason action? And I just, I guess I've never asked you. We watched some film of Kyler Murray together uh, at draft time. But, I mean, or would you bank on this situation? I, I think it's one that could be amazing, and Cliff Kingsbury is a genius, and Kyler Murray changes the game forever. Or this could just completely blow up, and Cliff Kingsbury is not even the coach next year. I've got a great uh, uh, respect for Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's a good coach. I will say this, though, at Texas Tech, uh, Patrick Mahomes was 13-16 and 16, uh, as a quarterback, right? So, I mean, he had might be the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and they couldn't win football games there. I'm not sure how much that would translate to all of a sudden, okay, he can win football games in the NFL, even though he couldn't win football games in college. So I'll, that's super intriguing to me. Kyler Murray is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, he is sort of the opposite of a Josh Rosen who was just there. I mean, Josh Rosen, just a pocket passer. Kyler Murray will run around. He'll make plays. 
Uh, he's explosive. He is a pretty accurate thrower uh, of the football, very natural thrower, uh, and uh, and has won a, you know obviously a ton uh, in his time there at Oklahoma. So he's he's uh, he if anyone's going to have a terrible offensive line, the quarterback you want is Kyler Murray if you're going to have any sort of success. But this team is just not very good. But he might. You know, he's one of those guys that can, you know, uh, raise the level of his offense and, and make his offensive line look better than they actually are because of his ability to, to run around. I got uh, two studies to run by you later in the show here. When we come back, we're going to talk with Robert Mays of The Ringer, and you're going to take a break here, Sage, and then we'll come back uh, at the end of the first hour to discuss a couple of studies that have come out that I want your reaction to. And then second hour, we'll have Sam Monson for Pro Football Focus, and we've got Judd Zolgad in the house as well. So a lot coming up here on Purple Daily. We'll be right back on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you. Sage Rosenfels will return in about 15 minutes or so. We've got Sam Monson coming up in the second hour. Judd Zolgad in here as well. And if you're wondering, the Twins are down by four runs with first and third uh, for the White Sox on. So... Not not going super great for the Twins today. All right, now on the show, we welcome in from The Ringer our friend Robert Mays. What is going on, Robert? I'm fine. Sage is bailing when I come on. Is that how it works? Uh, yep, yeah, that's how it works. Yep, he is cool. bailing, and then he's going to come back. He said, nope, I'm not going on with that guy. Sorry. That sounds good. I'll, I'll make sure to let him know <laughs> next time I see him. Uh, I'll explain that one to you later. Anyway, um, so, Robert, first, before we get into your uh, really good piece on the Vikings offense and Kevin Stefanski, how are your travels? Like, what? Have, do you have any, like, travel stories? You go from camp to camp to camp during this time of year. What has happened to you this time? Oh, I mean, nothing horrendous. I mean, there have been a couple times where I've been on the road. It's been about midnight or so, and I thought I could pull off a seven-hour drive after working all day, and I was just really incorrect. <laughs> I had to pull off at, like, a random Motel 6 and just because I needed a place to sleep for three hours. That happened a couple times. Um, I was really out of socks by the end. That was the mm. biggest problem. Yeah, I, it was like I, had two, I, I wear a lot of no-show socks so you can mismatch them and people don't know because I – wear a lot of sneakers in the summer. So I was able to kind of piecemeal it all together, but it wasn't ideal. And I also lost my razor near the end. Oh. So my beard was just growing up my face closer to my eyes. It, was, uh, it wasn't awesome. So, but uh, we, we did it, we made it, and now I'm back at home. The sock issue is definitely real. After the NFC Championship in 2017, uh, Judd Zolgad and I got stuck in Philadelphia because there was a storm in Minnesota, and we ran out of socks. Like, shirts, you know, button-up sure, you just throw it on two, three days in a row. But the socks, I mean, that gets really gnarly. So we ended up driving around trying to find, like, a Walgreens or something, and we both bought socks at this Walgreens. That's how we dealt with it. 
where were you staying in Philadelphia that there wasn't a sock out like <laughs> option close to you? You have to understand it's an AM radio station, okay? We were not staying in like the Ritz. We were sort of out by the airport. We ate at um the same restaurant like four days in a row. It was uh it wasn't well, great. Standard, yeah. Yeah. So you know how it goes. Anyway, so Robert, you've written a series of pieces on new offensive coordinators, teams with new OCs, and the Vikings one is titled The Vikings are doubling down on Kirk Cousins and a new offensive identity. And uh, let me tell you what jumped out to me right away in your article, Robert, is that Kirk Cousins has become self-aware about his uh, at least one thing in the world, which is his ability to succeed in play action. That he has essentially made himself into a play action guru as opposed to just everyone on the outside saying, hey, there's something to this guy in play action. He discovered that this offseason. Yeah, I mean, hearing him kind of espouse the same analytics that many of us football nerds have done for a long time about how play action doesn't require a solid running game. It doesn't matter how much you run the ball. It doesn't matter if a team knows that you're going to use play action. It's still effective. We have not reached the bounds of how much play action you can use. And to hear an NFL quarterback say that, it, it just it pulled on my heartstrings. I, I, I tweeted about this when I wrote the story. I had to stop myself from actively like taking off my shirt and running around the Vikings practice field when he said that just out of pure joy because it's so nice to see someone with actual power and that is in a position that 32 other guys in the league are in and believe this stuff. It was fantastic. And and kind of par for the course for Kirk Cousins' personality, right? I mean, for, he is a guy that gets made fun of sometimes by me for like his bad tweets or bad jokes about Garrett Bradbury's butt sweat. But in terms of how detailed he is about the position, I wasn't super surprised to read that he would have gone into an offseason and tried to investigate what the data says about his play. No, it's great. I mean, I just, I, he said a lot of interesting things to me. I mean, the data was one part of it. And again, I appreciate that. I think that as someone who wants to be good at their job, you should exhaust every single outlet to do that. But then when he told me about why he likes it, it was just kind of eye-opening. I had never heard someone tell me that the reason they think play action works is because well, you can't look at the defense and it slows down your mind. Yeah. I mean, most yeah. quarterbacks that I've talked to about that, like Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan hates turning his back to the defense in play action. Hmm. He legitimately despises it. And Kyle Shanahan had to convince him that this is the best way to do it because your guys are going to be open. And to hear Cousins kind of go the opposite way, I literally never heard an NFL quarterback describe that to me. And I've talked to a lot of guys about why they do and do not like play action. And I, I also highlighted this part of your article as well because I have, um, from watching Kirk Cousins, seen a lot of times where he's in the pocket and you can see him not on a play action. And it looks like he's just trying to process, trying to process, trying to process. And sometimes he'll, he'll just stay in that one spot and that's how he gets strip sacked or that's how passes get batted down or whatever else. So to, to, for an offensive coordinator to say, no, we're going to actively make sure we move you and make it so you have to turn around and then read the defense or read where your guys are. I think it fits him perfectly. I totally agree. I mean, it seems like both stylistically, mentally, every single aspect of it, it, it works. And he, when he's on time, when he's working within that sort of offense, he's a really, I don't know how else to describe it, the ball is pretty. I mean, he throws a really nice ball. He looks good in this system. I just think that every single aspect of it, whether it's his willingness to take shots down the field when guys are open in play action schemes, whether it's 
what it does to him mentally. I just think every single thing about this lines up to make him as successful as possible. And if you're building an offensive system, isn't that what you should be after? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Talking with Robert Mays of The Ringer. So here's my question, though. Uh, You've got on TheRinger.com, very popular website I've heard, uh, all the local outlets as well, the newspaper, myself, we've we've all um, written something to some extent about how this offense is going to work with Gary Kubiak and how a big part of it is the zone runs and how the play action plays off that and and all, all this stuff, right? So it's really out there. They have not tried to hide what they're doing. And at one point, you you write something about that of just like, yeah, this is what we're doing and uh, and we're not afraid to say it. Um, is that bad though? You think? <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, no. I, I had this I had this thought of you guys have really been telling everyone exactly how you're going to play. But that's not a secret. I mean, the moment you hire Gary Kubiak, that no longer some guy that clearly is uh, feels really good about himself is revving a sports car here down the road. I was going to say something else, and I realized I was on the radio, but I'm sure that there's a certain aspect of him that he's trying to compensate for. But um, wow, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where it uh, it's I, I totally agree, and I think that um, I I'm with you in the sense that I get why you wouldn't want to show someone exactly what you're doing, but the moment you hire Gary Kubiak, you're telling someone what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's True. no secret about that. This scheme, at its core, is the same. I, I mean, that's what it is. It, it at its in its bones, it's the same for everybody who wants to run it. It's a matter of how you dress it up. And even if when Kyle Shanahan got to Atlanta, you knew exactly what he's going to do, you become unpredictable because you don't know what it's going to look like out of which personnel packages. Yeah, true. When Sean McVay went to Los Angeles, you know he's going to run this basic system. But when you come out with three wide receivers and you do that in a way no one else has ever run this, it puts a spin on it. And that's the challenge for the Vikings. What is their version of this going to look like? And I think that's the answer that no one has. You know, I think that we're going to see a ton of 12 personnel from this team this year. I think we're going to see a lot of 21 personnel with this team this year. Out of those packages, how often do you motion Dalvin Cook out as a receiver? Things like that. So even if you know at the core of this what it's going to look like, it's what you filter it through, including your personnel and your personnel packages. Now, this trip, I I can't tell you how many coaches said to me, everyone's plays are the same, because they are. Mm -hmm. Everyone runs some version of a West Coast system or some sort of Earhart Perkins system, of some sort of Coriel system. It's only three or four different basic elements of what you can be offensively. It's how you tailor it to the players on your team and how you dress it up. So even if you know the basics of it, you don't know exactly what it's going to look like until week one. Okay, let me give you my other skepticism then, which is after the way that the Patriots and to some extent the Lions before them handled the Rams – uh, our defense is going to copy things that happened in the Super Bowl to slow down the play-action game of the Rams when they face the Vikings, knowing that that's what they're going to get. So are there schematic ways to slow this down? Because every team trying to do it on offense, they also have to know that other teams are going to be doing it, so they're looking for innovative ways to slow it down on defense, right? I mean, this is the history of the league, is trying to figure out defensive schemes to slow down the things that are trendy and that work on offense. I tend to agree with you. But the thing about the Rams is they were more predictable than other teams running this scheme because you more or less knew what personnel package they were going to use, right? I mean, this is a team that leaned on 11 personnel with three receivers and one tight end to historic rates last year. I mean, we're talking like 90% of plays 
they know that, that the Patriots understood this is what it's going to be, and this is what it's going to be without Cooper Cup. If you have a team that's able to be a little bit more unpredictable when it comes to who's going to be on the field and what the plays are going to look like when those guys are on the field, I think it's harder to copy that blueprint. I don't think you can do what the Patriots did last year against the 49ers, even though the system theoretically is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And the, and the personnel part of it is huge, too, with the fact that you have Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen who are just unstoppable if you get them in certain matchups. And that's that's going to um, that's going to help as well. Now, their role in this is something that Courtney Cronin and I talked about a little bit yesterday. And I'm curious what you think of it, Robert, because I could see them both still having really efficient and great years, but not putting up the type of numbers that they did in the past. So I like how does it help to have those two guys in this offense as opposed to what they had last year? I think it's more about just being able to attack the defense at every single level. Now, I remember talking to Kyle Shanahan in like 2016, before, that, before they really broke out that year and went to the Super Bowl. And he said to me, I want to throw the ball to Julio Jones less. And that seems counterintuitive, but in reality, if you're a really efficient NFL offense, if you're clicking on every single level, you're not force-feeding one or two players. You're making sure that everyone gets involved because, again, you're using every blade of grass. And I think that was one of the more interesting things that Gary Kubiak said to me. You know, this system is something that he's been running at its core since the 90s. You know, that zone running base rollout, moving the pocket thing, and we used to see John Elway do that. But he understands that the game has spread out, that things have changed. They're going to use RPOs in this system. You know, they're going to motion their backs as receivers and throw it to that. So that's the question. Can you make sure that beyond using those two players, you're exploiting every single aspect of a defense and spreading it out like modern teams do. And if they can do that while sticking to the basic principles that have made this offense successful for the last two decades, I think this offense can be pretty good. Yeah, no, I yeah, and I've had that feeling throughout training camp. It's one of the things that I've been talking about is just how much better it looks than it did last year when I think John D. Filippo was trying to use every scheme ever known to man and put it all into one, and it involved Laquan Treadwell a lot, and it just did, didn't really uh, work out as efficiently, especially in part because of the offensive line. But uh, one more thing I want to ask you, Robert about your article is that you were able to shine a little bit of light, and this is a challenge that we've all had, about Gary Kubiak actually being here. It's kind of become a running joke on the show of, like, no one knows technically what Gary Kubiak does. What was your feeling from talking with Rick Spielman, Kevin Stefanski, um, just, just about that relationship between Stefanski and Kubiak? Because it is pretty unique to have an old-school legend out there standing behind the quarterback, but also the play caller also standing like 10 feet away. So it's, it's kind of a little bit unique. It, it's really unique, but based on what Kevin told me, and I, I tend to believe him in this case. I mean, he's known Gary for a while. Him and Clint Kubiak are good friends. And it seems like you know, after the initial installation period, when you know, Gary and Rick Dennison, and he's a hugely underrated part of this. I mean, that the running game is Having the guy that helped devise all those devise all those running games in the building, it's not as important as having Kubiak, but it matters. So the fact that Kubiak was there to kind of set out, like, this is how we install this system. And that initial, they, Kubiak told me it was nine days long. They were kind of meshing what the ideas of the offensive staff were with what Kubiak wanted. So that's the most important kind of time for him being there is the installation. And then as you go through OTAs, teaching it to the players. Now the way that Kevin kind of outlined it to me was, 
it's he's just a resource. It's like, have you tried this version of the offense? Have you mm-hmm. tried this version? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And having that guy who's literally the godfather of this thing and understands what would and wouldn't work, like even against modern defenses with this scheme, I just think it's a good thing. Even if there's a little bit of pressure on Stefanski just because he is there over his shoulder, I still think the resource and just the endless amount of information that he carries about what this offense is supposed to look like, that to me is a net gain over anything else that could possibly be a drawback. So my conclusion from this interview, Robert, is that you're buying it, that you think it's going to work. I'm buying it because I think this is the best version of football. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've said that before, and I, I told Kevin Stefanski that when I sat down with him, and he agreed with me. And he told me that when he got an offensive coordinator job, if he ever did, this is the offense that he would want. Mm-hmm. Because his case is so unique in the sense that he didn't follow coaches from place to place, which is what most young assistants do. You know, you get under the wing of some guy, and you become part of that tree, and that's how your career goes. He wasn't like that. He's been in Minnesota for a decade and a half. Mm-hmm. So he really, I think I described him as a man without a country schematically. <laughs> and he always pointed to this and said, this is what I want to do. And I completely agree with him. I, I just think that if I were building an NFL offense right now, this is the baseline scheme that I would build it around. And when you have a quarterback that's this good with play action, and you have two receivers that are this good, and when you have an offensive line that I think is going to be a lot better and a back like Dalvin Cook, and two functional tight ends. I just, I don't know. This has all the makings of an offensive recipe that I want to watch. Yeah, I, I think what I'll say, no matter what, is even if this somehow blows up and doesn't work, it was the right way to go either way. Like, it was the right process. They the did not have it last year. Yeah. so That's the most important thing. It, it is, and that's especially was at the core of what I would try to write, is that now they know what they are. And that is half the battle. As long as you can really commit to something, that is the right idea at the beginning, mm-hmm. you weren't wrong in doing so. Yeah. And I think that I'm with you. I mean, this is an offense that you can't do halfway, as both Kirk Cousins, Kevin Stefanski, and a lot of other people have told me in the past. And they're not doing it halfway, and I think that's the best approach when it comes down to this. The article, very good work as always from Robert Mays, is titled, The Vikings Are Doubling Down on Kirk Cousins and a New Offensive Identity. I highly suggest you read it. Robert, we'll uh, catch up again soon. Thanks, man. Sounds good, bud. Talk to you later. Yep. Robert Mays there uh, from The Ringer, always uh, generous with his time. The Ringer has their own spot in the media room. That's how often they're coming to Minnesota, whether it's him or Kevin Clark. So get a lot of very good Vikings coverage out of The Ringer. All right, we'll take a break. Sage Roosevelt's going to pop back in next segment. We'll have Sam Monson as well, live from Cincinnati, and the PFF offices down there. Zolgad will be in. Maybe we could get uh, some kicking updates with Zolgad when he comes back. Uh, we'll return here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. 2.40 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. Since we're talking Vikings, we're talking Purple Daily, we're talking everything Vikings training camp related. Good Morning Football this morning was excited about one particular receiver and Matthew Collar shaking his head at this take because he's heard this one. But here's Good Morning Football on one Chad Beebe. This summer, Chad Beebe has been maybe the best receiver in Vikings camp. Okay, Beebe. Number 12. 
He's also the team's punt returner. And, oh, he's also the team's holder on kicks. Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are the best all. receivers so in camp, okay? So we talk about okay? the difference between the Vikings making the leap from last year's 8-7-1. It. He's been fine, but come playoffs, on. Maybe going even further this year? We could talk Gary Kubiak. We could talk some new defensive wrinkles. We could talk Garrett Bradbury, the new center. Mm-hmm. Or we could be talking about Chad Beebe. He's going to catch like 25 passes, okay? I'm just like... Callers telling you to slow down the hype. Good morning, football's all in on this. Fine, but come on. The best receiver in camp? (laughs) Stephon Diggs smokes Xavier Rhodes every day. Stop it. All right, we'll stop. Okay. That's been it for the Score North download. Let us know your thoughts over on Twitter at Score North on Twitter. That's at SKR North on Twitter. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, rejoining me on the show here, and I appreciate Robert Mays chiming in. So if uh, you missed any of it, make sure you go to iTunes, download the show, leave us a rating, do all those sorts of things, and visit scorenorth.com to check out um, my recent article on the four vertels concept and also what the PFF stats have said about the preseason so far for the Vikings. So, all right, welcoming back in Sage Rosenfels. What, what, were you going to say something? I was. I was. I, I mean, how could you tell since I'm in the studio right next to you? Um <laughs> Robert Mays, by the way, do you follow him on Twitter? I do, yes. I feel like he is sort of like a, almost like a rock star amongst the NFL media members. Sure, like just yeah. just his lifestyle. He seems to travel around all over, and he's go- he he really does a great job of mixing his coverage of an NFL team with like going to great concerts that night or something like that. Yes, he seems to yes. have that rock star mentality for uh, for an NFL media member. So the Ringers two football guys, he and Kevin Clark, basically spend their entire training camps traveling to all the different training camps in the NFL. So I, I'm not sure how Robert takes care of his dog while he's doing that. I, I know you travel a lot. That's tough. Um, and expensive, but uh, I bring my dog with me everywhere I go. Oh, really? Bernie yeah. goes to a lot of places with you. Go oh, everywhere. Him. Service dog. Yeah, he flies with me on the airplanes. No, I have somebody come to my house and. Oh, okay. And stay I know over that usually. some NFL players do that. They'll get a dog and get them certified as a uh, service dog or something, so they could take them on airplanes. Anyway, I, I will. I do want to finish up our conversation from earlier. We're talking about Kyler Murray and these yeah, preseason yeah. games. No, there is this whole clap situation. You know, the NFL, the teams don't. The quarterback doesn't really clap his hands or you know for, to get the snap. Right. Uh, it's usually a leg kick or something like that, or obviously the the, the verbal count. Uh, but in college, there's this clap snap, as, as you probably would call it, and, and they got flagged twice uh, in one of their preseason games for that that clap. I don't know if it's you know it's it's signaling the 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 start of the snap or something, which can be sort of illegal. It's almost like a too strong of a head bob on a on a hard count yep. uh, or whatever. But that that's something we should look forward to. They, they have not looked good uh, in the preseason. Uh, you know, the offensive line has looked terrible and they have not had much success. Well, that's one of those things about like Cliff Kingsbury, where is he going to know all the rules? I mean, the rules are different from the NFL to college and the, the, the clap thing to me, that's, how do you not realize that you can't do that? I mean, it is weird. I, I I usually call a game or two for Iowa State every year, and I I'm sometimes unsure of some of the rules. If something happens the game, I like look to the guy doing the uh, the play by play. I'm like, I don't know that rule. Like, what's what's the rule on that? You know, I follow more NFL way more than college football, and there are some differences. And obviously, that clap snap uh, type of thing is one of them. So I wanted to run a couple of things by you because I'm always keeping an eye out. I mean, just. Always, but especially in training camp preseason for articles that point to trends and things like that. And there's a few things I want to run by you. Um, yesterday, I mentioned at the end of the show 
that Kevin Seifert from ESPN says he believes the way that the NFL is tweaking rules and things like that, that we are going to see more holding penalties on running plays. So my question for you, Sage, is should this impact a play caller like, say, Kevin Stefanski, who wants to establish the run, they want to try to get big plays for Delvin Cook, but if holding penalties are going to go up, this makes it even harder, I think, for teams to do that. Yeah, I, that, that that makes sense, right? I mean, if they're calling a lot of holds on running plays to call fewer running plays, but I think you have to have trust in your offensive line coach, trust in your offensive line men to you know play within the rules and and to not hold, and that you can still run the football and not have to cheat, you know, while you do it. By the way, there's a lot of defensive holding, of course, that offensive linemen hate, and defensive holding I think has gone up. Uh, in these years since the referee had moved from that sort of linebacker position to also be behind the quarterback. Now you have two referees behind the quarterback, and no one in that, uh, I think they used to call him the umpire maybe, uh, that was <clears throat> sort of right along, right along those linebackers, and he was always looking for the defensive line holding the offensive line, you know, maybe preventing that guard from the double team working his way up to mm-hmm. a linebacker. Yeah. And he's, so he just gets basically double teamed the whole time, and the guys can't get off to get up to linebackers. And so, uh, you know, th- that happens on that side of the ball as well. But I got to think that, you know, as a play caller, uh, you can't be worried about, you know, if I call this play, are we going to get some sort of penalty? You have to sort of have trust and faith, not only in your players, but also in the coach that's coaching them, that he's going to, uh, you know, coach the, the correct techniques so the guys can be successful within the rules of the game. So where that took my mind is just that Mike Zimmer wants to run the ball more. Gary Kubiak wants to start everything with the run and then marry it to the pass and so forth. But one of the reasons that running is so much less efficient than passing is because of these plays. I mean, if you think about the penalties, the penalty that mostly gets called when you throw is defensive pass interference, which has the chance to give you 20, 30, 40 yards at times. The penalty most called when you run is a holding penalty on you. So it's a little bit more of the, well, what's an efficient way to do this? And I think if Delvin... I was gonna say it used to be, you know, back in the day, I think was it Bill Parcells used to say, you know, when you throw the ball, you know, one good thing can happen and two bad things can happen. Right? Yes, Something like yes. that. So I, I it's and, almost like do you feel like the tide's turning? Oh yes. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think coaches stuck with that for a really, really long time that they wanted to continue to establish the run and everything else. And I think it is important and valuable to not turn the ball over. That that that, that there is value that we sort of miss sometimes when you don't turn the ball over by running the football but at the same time the the math is just so clear about how less efficient it is to run that there's sort of this balance teams are having to figure out it's like okay we've got to play toward the numbers because if we don't uh, we're going to fall behind and we're all going to get fired at the same time the play action numbers if you don't run at all then you're not going to fool anyone um, so I, you know, there's sort of this, uh, I don't know, sea change going on in a way, but you still have to hand it off and you still have, if you're the Vikings, Delvin cook, who you need to have the football in his hands, you know? So I, I think that this is a little bit of a challenge and I know that Kevin Stefanski pays attention to all the analytics and the numbers and the trends and everything else. And I am just going to be really interested Sage to see how he deals with all this. Well, I think a lot of times it depends also who is your quarterback, right? If you have yeah. Pat Mahomes with the ball in his hands, good things just sort of seem to happen. He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. He makes great plays down the field. Uh, he does a great job of escaping the pocket uh, or moving within the pocket when it breaks down. Uh, and, you know, he, he creates a lot of offense. And, and, you know, our quarterback, Kirk Cousins, he's just not that type of player. So you can't expect him to create – 
offense and and also keep you know the offensive line all those guys out of trouble if he's throwing the ball 50 times a game and so you just sort of have to have that i think that that minimum that min, that medium number of you know 30 35 at the max 40 times a game and throwing the football we don't want to lead the league in passing i i truly believe that and, and very few teams get to the super bowl by leading the team leading the whole uh, nfl in passing yards right i'm all about efficiency and and i'm all about uh you know trying to run the football, but also those runs, just the fact that you may only got one or two or three yards, they're not really successful runs per se, but they're also not a sack fumble. They're also not your left tackle going, okay, seven-step drop on a first down. Here we go. Good luck against uh, Khalil Mack or somebody on, on the other side. It sort of minimize, it minimizes uh, your ability to ex- sort of expose, I don't expose yourself, I guess, but, you know, <laughs> expose your, your issues, expose your weaknesses uh, uh, to, you know, to the other team. And when sure. you're constantly throwing the football, you'll expose an offensive line. Because there's always going to be one or two guys who are just you know, average to below average. That's just sort of the way it goes. So you're going to expose those guys, and you're going to expose your quarterback to possibly a lot of hits, those sacks, those sack fumbles, uh, which can be terrible hit passes, which can go in the other way. There's a lot of negative things that can happen if you're throwing the ball every single down. And when defenses know you're going to throw the ball every single down, man, that makes things even harder. Okay, I, I have one last thing for you that is not related to this at all, but just before you go for today, and then we'll you know continue to do our thing all season long and break down preseason, and I expect copious notes from Friday night's game from you um, to talk about next week at the fair where you'll be up here, and it'll be awesome. Um, but just, you know, Baker Mayfield getting quoted in GQ talking about Daniel Jones and how it was mind-blowing to him that Jones got drafted so high, and then Mayfield comes back and says, well, that's not exactly what I said, which, by the way, is why I tape all of my interviews. So then I could say, uh, actually, you did say that, and it's right here. Here's the audio for you. But... Um, I just wonder what you think of Mayfield's handling of some of the attention and the hype that is around the Browns because uh, I think that sometimes when he's calling out you know Duke Thomas uh, earlier this offseason and he made some crack about the time he got arrested in college, which I thought was kind of not the best thing to do, and then, and then this here putting himself in the limelight more, in my mind, it, it better work out then. Because if it doesn't, I mean, this guy is going to be the center of everybody's scrutiny. Like, they better be as good as they say they're going to be, or he's going to look like kind of a big fool for some of the things this offseason. Well, you know, they have both Baker and OBJ on that football team, and they're both sort of lightning rods for controversy. And and usually when when players are that way, uh, in particular a quarterback is that way, a lot of people want them to fail, right? And so. You know, really, since it seems like almost forever, uh, if you thought yourself of the sort of prototypical quarterback and that, you know, the, the press conferences and those types of things, it's usually always been, you know, try to keep controversy to a minimum, you know, stay away from it. You know, Eli Manning's uh, press conferences are super boring, but, you know, he's in New York, like they're looking for anything to take advantage of, at least the media's to take advantage of what he says and blow it up into something. And so teams don't like that type of controversy, I'm sure. The Cleveland Browns would much rather be, you know, talking about their offense and talking about their defense and how they're going to try to get in the playoffs for the first time in who knows how long this year. Instead, they're talking about a GQ article, right? right. So, yeah. you know, the Browns have, you know, sort of decide that I guess it's okay. And, 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 you know, Baker is right there in the middle. He's a young guy and this is sort of the way he is. Uh, he hasn't been really humbled by the NFL experience yet. You know, the further you go in an, on an NFL career, 
you have these things that grow up that build up that I like to call scars. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they're physical stop scars. A lot of times they're mental scars, right? And and any time that somebody you know thinks they're great, man, the NFL will have a way of humbling you uh, and putting you down at the bottom. And so you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people think the Browns are going to be really, really good. Again, looking on this rankings, this NFL Power Rankings, they have them as number sixteen in the league, right in the middle. They don't have them as making the playoffs. So you know, how good are they going to be? We don't know. Uh, but adding more and more controversy and more and more things for everyone else to talk about uh, about the football team other than the actual team itself, the 53 men who are going to line up week one uh, and try to beat their opponent, uh, I think just sort of takes energy uh, and things away from you know what, what that causes, which is try to get them in the playoffs. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And from a reporter perspective, when you see these things play out enough times, when you see guys like this who try to be, I'm going to be the, the guy who says the things that everybody doesn't say. Well, you know, there are a reason that things are the way they are, right? I mean, there, there are a reason why uh, most quarterbacks don't want to be at the center of controversy all the time because it's really stressful. And you don't need that in your life when you're trying to do something so it seems to be a sh- detailed, right? Yeah, it seems to be a short-term uh, you know, sort of like short-term win for Baker to say get something off his chest or say something controversial, but in the long term, uh, I think it sort of builds up and adds these things, uh, you know, onto his sort of resume of like why people don't love Baker Mayfield. Sometimes he's yep. sort of one of those love-hate characters, and if you're a quarterback in the NFL, man, you'd like to have basically almost everybody like you because you say and do all the right things. But, uh, you know, if it helps them win, you know, I think Baker's one of those guys. And I feel like OBJ, they're like, in some ways, they're sort of similar, that maybe this stuff sort of like fuel, fuels them yeah, for some yeah. reason. Like I they create a controversy, and then they get to fight back on the haters, and then when they fight back on the haters, that gives them some energy to like, oh, they're all out, uh, out to get me, yeah, and this is going to motivate me, right? It's like they create the controversy to then motivate themselves or something. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I could see that. I think quarterback is a little bit of a... I think basketball players do that in part because the season's really super long. So, you know, sometimes you'll have someone like LeBron to make sure there's some sort of controversy around him to keep him going, maybe. But uh, with football, I don't know. It's, I think it's really hard to do if you're a quarterback. So, and, and, and really hard when you're a second-year quarterback. Right. Right, yeah, who, sure. you know, whether they won six or whatever games last year. So he's a second-year quarterback. It's like, all right. Chill out, kid, for a little bit. You know, wait till you go to the playoffs a few times. Wait till you, you're 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 in the MVP. You, know, you don't hear Patrick Mahomes say all that much, right, uh, about anybody else, right? And he could say anything he wants. He's you know a spe- spectacular young talent, uh, and and Baker's got a lot of talent too, and he's a heck of a young good you know good young player. But uh, again, he still has not really done anything yet. And until he does, I keep my mouth shut. And then when he does, and he does have success, if he does have success, I'd still keep my mouth shut. You know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you hear Tom Brady or Bill Belichick for years and years and years. The Patriots will go and play like Cincinnati, and at the time, Cincinnati's like three and nine. And Belichick will just drop praise after praise on them. Oh man, they've got that wide receiver who's really good. They, yes, they've got yeah. they've got explosive offense. They got some real game breakers on their defense that could really wreck this team. We got to be prepared. They're talking about the three and nine Bengals here, right? So you know, well, there's nothing wrong with that, and it seems to win for the Patriots. I would always try to follow a lot of things that the Patriots do. 
Although I would say that uh, quotes, great quotes are welcome for reporters. <laughs> yeah, reporters love them. Now, I saw a great quote on Twitter this morning I found really interesting is that, you know, when you go sort of out of the NFL world media-wise and you do an interview with like a GQ magazine yeah, or yeah. something that's not a sort of a sports uh, you know website or something like that, you sort of open up to your, open up yourself to a reporter who is really going to go in and do a one-hit uh, sort of piece, and then he's out of it, right? So if he burns some bridge uh, and writes a story that's really not what that would be, you know, sort of fair, I guess, to the to the athlete, it doesn't really matter. He's on to, you know, the, the reporter he or she is on to, you know, talking about fashion or something else the next day. It does not matter. It's you know, they sort of come in and they go out. Where most NFL reporters, you as you said, you you record all of your stuff. You have to sort of be there the next day yep. too to sort of face the fire and those questions and the pressure from an organization. You imagine walking back into that Cleveland Browns locker room for the rest of the year, and the quarterback gives you nothing. You know that that's not good for a reporter. So there's a little bit more of a a game there that goes on for the long term. But when you go outside the NFL or the, outside the sort of sports media world and do an article like that. Uh, you know, these types of things are bound to happen. Yep. Uh, we're up against it here, but I'll just add this, uh, Sage, just that when it's an NFL reporter, you're probably interviewing them like off to the side after practice or something. But if it's a GQ reporter, you're going to go to their house, or the reporter's going to go to their house, and they're going to hang out with them for the day, they're going to ride in the car with them, they're going to go photo shoot, whatever. And what players don't realize is you're on the record the whole time. Like, you, they they will think, and I can totally understand that that when someone isn't holding the microphone right up to you, and you're uh, you know it, like I'm answering questions. If you're just having a conversation throughout the day with the reporter, like guy to guy or guy to girl or whatever, um, that's on the record. Like, and and they don't necessarily realize that and sort of let their guard down. And this was how the John Rocker thing happened. Was John Rocker's hanging out with this Sports Illustrated reporter, and he's just talking. And, and he doesn't realize he's on the record. I'm not calling him a victim. Like he should know that he's hanging out with a reporter who's doing a story on him. But I'm. I think that that's how some of these things come out. And then you know people will wonder, well, why don't why don't the local guys get these? Because the interview situations are a lot more sort of sterile than they are from letting a GQ person hang out with you and guys do this for their egos really like they do these big interviews i remember cam newton said he wouldn't do any of them like the whole first year of his career and there are other guys who want uh, the attention of being on the cover of gq and it seems that baker mayfield really really loves him some attention so well and and, and re- really quickly you know what i found interesting is is the quote that basically like why would you pick a quarterback that's not a winner and to me that sort of shows the immaturity of baker mayfield going like you're you're in oklahoma all right, you guys just basically put your helmets out there, and you could win eight or nine games right. with whoever played quarterback. It's almost like it's almost like you don't realize how almost entitled that you are yeah. to do that. I mean, Daniel Jones went to Duke, all right, which like some people didn't realize had a football program until a few <laughs> years ago. Okay, so uh, and you know, and Pat Mahomes went again, went to Texas Tech. So like winning. Uh, plus, like winning always isn't a, a quarterback stat. That's a whole conversation. I'm sure we could have sometime this year. But you know, is winning a quarterback stat? And you know, Pat Mahomes did not win at Texas Tech, and now he's a winning NFL quarterback. And Daniel Jones, uh, you know, won about half his games at Duke, which I think, hey, that's pretty impressive. He yeah. won half his yep. games at Duke. I watched before the draft last year. I watched him play uh, the, the the Duke Blue Devils play against Clemson. I mean, you're talking about a team that basically every starter will have a chance to make the NFL, if not half of them, probably be first-round draft picks against Duke, in which nobody will be in the NFL but the quarterback, and he competed his tail off 
Yeah. Uh, and I thought he played pretty well. It was a decently competitive game uh, against against Clemson. And so to me, uh, Daniel Jones, you know, sort of uh, rose the the level of the play of the guys around him from being sort of guys that probably wouldn't get scholarships to a lot of the major Power Five schools uh, to be a competitive football team. To me, that is a win. That is a, a winning type of quarterback. Just because he didn't go to Oklahoma doesn't mean he can't be successful in the yeah. NFL. And, and like you were saying, I mean, would Tom Brady or Drew Brees ever disparage some other young quarterback or something? Probably not, and those guys would have the right to do it, and they still don't. So why would you do it as someone who's done nothing? So anyway, well, Sage... Awesome stuff. We're going to get you out to the fair, and uh, we'll see uh, if you can do like uh, the politicians do and hold some large amount of meat and eat it while we're on the radio or something. Well, I was at the uh, Iowa State Fair this last weekend, by the way, and there was a spot where you could throw a, a baseball as hard as you could. Oh, and if you could I, go if ahead. You, go ahead. Before yeah, so we wrap you, up, brag. Go yeah, ahead. Yes, so if, so if, if you could throw over 80, you got the, this giant minion. I mean, it's like it's it's huge, right? And so I get up there. You get three throws. I go 79, 81, uh, and 80, I believe. Now, that was last uh, Saturday night. Okay, my arm still hurts, like straight, straight up. Like I'm feeling, I'm, I'm holding the microphone right now. My, my elbow still hurts, but you know, my daughter has a giant minion, so impressive if, if nonetheless. If, if there's one up in Minnesota, I will, I will, I'll find that booth and I'll see if I can throw eighty one. All right, again. great. Win me a giant stuffed animal. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, Sage, we'll, we'll have some fun with that. We'll see you then. Uh, we'll be right back. We will have Sam Monson for Pro Football Focus coming up next. Zolgad in the second hour as well. We'll be right back. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.